This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Pope and Young Podcast. I'm Jason Rouseville, joined today by my co-host, Dylan Ray, and we have... And as you can see from the background, a very special <laughs> bow hunting guest, Dr. Warren Strickland. Welcome to the Pope and Young podcast. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. We are uh, excited to have you. I know I've, I've seen you at events. I've gotten to shake your hand. I just haven't had an opportunity to, to sit down and visit with you. And uh, everybody I've talked to, your name comes up all the time in bow hunting circles. And so... Um, looking forward to it. So, I've been around for a long time. Yes, right. sir. And so um, I understand you have a super slam. I certainly do. It was, uh, I think I completed my super slam about five years ago. Uh, it was kind of, uh, you know, I can't say that I started off even dreaming that I would actually collect all 29 species of North America. But I remember uh, one night I was sitting down actually going through the Pope and Young book. And I said, well, I turned to the back where all the big game animals were listed. And I just yeah. checked ones off that I had. And I had 21 wow. different species. So <laughs> that I might as well get the other seven or eight. Yeah. You know, at that point in time, you, you, you almost owe it to yourself to do it. So which one was the toughest of all 29? Which well, the the one that took the most time was actually the brown bear. Uh, I spent probably, I think I counted it up, over 100 days in the field on four or five different hunts wow. before I 
found only uh, collected my brown bear, but I only wanted to shoot one. And I set a goal that I wanted to shoot one that was over 10 feet. So I had, I let a lot of them walk by. Uh, and finally, I got a chance uh, uh, at, you know, that big trophy. And he, he squared 10-7. So he was a pretty nice brown bear. And that's the one behind you? It is. That's the one behind give me. Us, give us a look. Give us a little uh, spin of that trophy room. We got we to gotta show everything. Yeah, so there's the there's the brown bear, uh, right there. You know, I, I. Can't. Let's see. Yeah, but that was a pretty nice brownie. Uh, he was the second or third largest brown bear shot in the state of Alaska, the year that I uh, took him, and I hunted with a great guide. I spent sixty days with him in the field on three different hunts. His name is Henry Tiffany. Henry's a master guide from Alaska and. Uh, we spent a lot of time down on the peninsula and just had a had a great, 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 great experience with him. Wow. He's truly yeah. a master. Yeah. Now, I see a couple of Harlequin ducks back there. Are you a duck hunter as well? Well, you know, when we were out on the peninsula, uh, you know, some days the wind wasn't right uh, to bear hunt. So the, the waterfowl hunting was pretty incredible. So <laughs> <laughs> I got a chance to collect, a, you know, a, a few birds while I was out there as well. Outstanding. So uh, over a hundred days to get your brown bear. It was. Like, yep. And how many trips was that over? Five different trips. I would oh. go and stay the whole season. <laughs> uh, man. Yeah. See, I don't know, Dylan. Um, I think I'm not prepared to do that. I, I'd have looked at the small ones and said, yep, I'm here. Let's yep, get it. Done. There it is. So that, that's <laughs> why I'll never have a trophy room like that. Well, Jason, you know, what happened was that after I had invested 50 or 60 days on three different hunts, you know, I felt, you know, I would have wasted all of that time if I would have shot a smaller bear because I let so, you know, a lot of bears walk by me. So I was pretty much, you know, committed to that, uh, that 10 foot bear. Yeah. You know, Jason, most people, most people have one wall that they sit in front of that looks good. I know, he's but, got but he's doing a 360. Yeah. And you just see giants behind him everywhere he goes, and there's not a bad spot yet. And and, and that's just the trophies. And then you look at man, there's racks of recurves on the wall. So that's what, a, what got you started. Well, you know, Fred Bear was, you know, like everyone, Fred Bear was, you know, really meant a lot to me. You know, he was. You know, when everyone had football players, basketball players, my hero, the, the person that I wanted to emulate the most was Fred Bear. And Fred Bear, you know, uh, the Cody, you know, was his bow of choice. And I started collecting them probably 20. Well, I'd say uh, Papa say Bear would be proud. I can't say much, but when this episode launches, uh, Bear is bringing back a couple bows from the Kodiak line. Uh, it's going to be phenomenal. And by the time this episode launches, they'll be here. But um, uh, some bows I'm really excited about in the Kodiak line that hasn't been around for a long time. Yeah, that's great. You know, I uh, I heard, you know, reintroducing some of the classic recurves, which is fantastic. You know, my daughter has, um, she started, I started her shooting a bow when she was probably five or six. And she shot five or six quality or Pope and Young type whitetails uh, over the years. And all of them have been with a bear Kodiak. Wow. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So did you do, 
did you do your super slam with with recurves or or compounds? Oh no no no! I shot compounds. Hoyt was uh, my uh, bow of choice. You know, I shot PSC for a long time, and then I switched over to Hoyt. Uh, and uh, both of them were just great, great bows. But I shot uh, all twenty nine with either you know a PSC compound or a Hoyt compound. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, so. If you had to pick one recurve out of there. Which one, which is your favorite? Well, you know, I was able to get a couple of Fred Bear's personal recurve. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I would have to say I have two of them, two uh, that he actually was his personal bows. I've collected a lot of his memorabilia over the years, but I would have to say those 58 uh, Kodiak bear recurves are probably my favorites oh heck yeah i could see that that's fantastic now when it comes to shooting a recurve you know we all have shot recurves i have a 63 kodiak that really shoots great it doesn't stack at all it's around 63 64 pounds just a fan yeah i I, i'm gonna i'm not a good enough bowyer to shoot a recurve but at least I recognize my limitations. So I'm going to stick with my compound for a while. <laughs> well, you know, I tell you what, when I get, when I get serious, I, I take my compound. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but it's great to shoot recurves with friends around the house and things of that sort. But when I'm on a serious hunt, I have my compound in the hand. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we heard about your most difficult or the one that took you the most time uh it which one would be your favorite of those 29 you know, i tell you if i was not so obsessed with elk hunting i would have finished my 29 15 years ago <laughs> i love that <laughs> yeah but yeah. for so many years i would spend a month elk hunting i would have three or four tags in my pocket and i would nice. just i would go from state to state to state elk hunting so without a doubt elk are my favorite okay that's awesome. Okay. And do you have a favorite state for elk? Arizona. Okay. You know, I love Arizona. But now let me tell you, I uh, I have really fell in love with Southern Oregon and Northern California for Roosevelt. Uh, they hey, all right. Giant, giant uh, Roosevelt. Uh, I got a couple that uh, I just haven't got a chance to put them in the book yet, but I am. I've, I've shot a couple of... Uh, Roosevelt's in the 360s in that area. So those wow. are, yeah. Uh, so for, I shot the big yeah. Roosevelt. For people that don't know, a 360 Roosevelt is that, that's that's a f- over 400 Rocky. I mean, th- those are just uh, monsters. Yeah, I think 285 or 290 is Boone and Crockett. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a Boone and Crockett standard. So uh, you know, anything over 300 is a really good Roosevelt. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How many animals do you have in the book, Warren? Well, you know, I'm just ashamed to even say this. Uh, I have all of most of my Pope and Young animals I, I've scored, but I've only put eight or 10 in the book. But oh, my eight. goal in the oh, next ten, couple Jason. of years yeah, uh, eight or ten. is to, uh, you know, to get all of my, my animals scored and, uh, Put them that's in gonna be a, That's going to be a week long job for somebody. Yeah. Oh, well, you you couldn't measure all that in a week. Are you kidding yeah. me? 
I, I have, have to have a panel. We're gonna have to have a panel just in Alabama, Jason. I'm telling you, <laughs> I'll go down for that just to see that yeah. trophy room. That's cool, and it's yeah. it's uh, you know, as I'm sitting in in Western Oregon, I appreciate that uh, that you threw out the Southern Oregon reference. I I think it's it's neat. I just grew up. I mean, I live in Roosevelt Country, and I think a lot of people don't realize how huge the bodies are on those elk until you walk up to one and you realize, holy smokes, I've got to carry this. You know, Jason, I think they're 25% bigger than a big Rocky Mountain. They are absolutely huge. And it kind of, you know, it kind of underestimates the size of the antlers because the bodies on them are so big. You know, they're just huge, huge animals. Yeah. they're just in, in some of the places you find those it's, uh, boy, it, it, it gets steep and steep and deep and thick where yeah. you're looking about, okay, I see the elk. I know it's there. I can, I can tell there's an elk there, but there's no way you're getting an arrow through there. That's so, right. Yeah. That's right. Well, that's great. Wow. How exciting. What's your, what's your least favorite state to hunt in? I'm curious to know. Uh, least favorite state. Boy, that's pretty tough because I can't think of anywhere that I've gone. I love BC. British Columbia is probably one of my favorite because uh, actually it's not a state but province because in British Columbia, you can hunt so many different species, you know, yeah. uh, you know, you can hunt black bear, you can get three species, uh, three different sheep species there, moose, you know, it's just in British Columbia, I feel it's true wilderness. My least favorite state, uh, I can't say that I really have one. I don't. I can't say that I have a least favorite animal either. I have really enjoyed, you know, the bow hunting experience uh, in all the states and chasing all the species. Uh, obviously, and there's there's yeah. a lot. Have you calculated? Have you ever thought? Of, you know, like you said with the brown bear, it was over a hundred days. Have you calculated how many days you've got just into this room? Oh, no, I haven't. I mean, <laughs> you know, this is 25 to 30 years. Of, and, you know, Jason, for so long, uh, I really I've gotten a little bit better now, but I pretty much lived, breathed and ate bow hunting. I spent nine or 10 months a year preparing for my hunts, you know, training, getting in good shape. And I shot at least five days a week uh, for 20 or 25 years, because normally I only had one opportunity on the hunt yeah. and I had to make that shot count. Uh, so I spent lots and lots of time understanding my equipment, uh, getting myself in the best physical condition to withstand, uh, you know, those sometimes long and grueling hunts and yeah. my favorite backpack hunts up North. Really nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, if I'm camping, instead of carrying everything in my back i like to have like the wall tent with the nice stove i mean that's kind of my idea of camping sometimes but right. that that's why i don't have the things on my wall you have on yours well you know it's it's just that i think anyone can do it because i don't have any special talent just a lot of hard rate way uh hard work persistence and you know driving motivation yeah obviously honestly the love and passion for the sport. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think you have to have that. And it's, it's interesting when you talk to people, um, 
you know, and especially some younger people, they get it. And then some people just, they just want to go kill it. Doesn't matter what it's with. And, and then you see them come a little bit, almost a little bit later in life where they get the appreciation for the experience as opposed to just going out and killing something. Yeah. And I think we go through stages of hunting. You know, I think we're all at the, you know, sometime, you know, in the beginning of bow hunting, I just wanted to kill something, you know, yeah. something. And then you, you know, you want to shoot as much as you can. And then you become more selective. You want a trophy hunt. And now I'm at the point where I just love to take people. Now, when I go elk hunting, you know, normally I'm calling and guiding for someone else. I go up and guide for toolies every year. Uh, nice with a good friend. I just love to call and I get so much out of seeing someone else collect an animal now. Wow. That's yeah. And those are just the stages. I think that as we mature that we advance through. Yeah. And so who are, uh, who are some folks that you've, you've enjoyed taking? Like if you had to say, Hey, here's a couple guys that, that were, were worth taking, who would they be? My, my favorite all time is Bob Delaney. <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Outstanding. You haven't got yeah. to take me and Jason yet, though. That's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bob and I have been on uh, two or three, uh, a couple of Thule elk hunts. We were on a Roosevelt hunt this year, and uh, we've turkey hunted together. We, uh, I spent quite a bit of time with Bob. And That's I've always great. taken a lot of my buddies with me uh, as well. And particularly spring turkey hunting. I love the spring turkey hunt as well. That's I, I heard through the grapevine you were a turkey hunter. I love the great thing about you can make something happen. You know, you can you can change the scenario by you know by calling. So yeah, I really enjoy uh, turkey hunting and elk hunting. It's not much difference. They both are pretty close to the same. You know, you just don't have to worry about the wind with turkeys, but you got to worry about their yeah. eyes years you know yeah. yeah i i i for one appreciate that you don't have to worry about the wind as much with turkeys oh everybody, they're not everybody, gonna smell you that's exactly right yeah, yeah. It, it uh one more factor out of the equation so just absolutely it, yeah tips the odds think, in my favor a little bit if a turkey had a nose we would all be in trouble <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've heard that before <laughs> very good so have you gotten uh done the same thing turkey slam yeah, I have. I mean, I've shot quite a few turkey slams. And now again, you quite know, a normally... few turkey slams, Jason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, again, I, I kind of take things, uh, you know, I'm a little, my wife says I'm very ex obsessive compulsive, but, you know, I spent a, now I spend pretty much most of uh, April and last part of May chasing turkeys across the country. I usually start in Florida. Texas and my home state of Alabama, Tennessee, and then I finish up in Northern California. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And how how did you get started hunting? Where where were where, I mean, where are you originally from? Well, I grew up in Southeast Arkansas. Not even a Razorback, Jason. You hear that? Man. <laughs> That's right. And you know, hunting, you know, my dad. You know, I think it's always passed down. My dad was a small game hunter. He's, we started off dove hunting, squirrel and rabbit hunting. We were uh, and lots of around soybean fields. So uh, I got a bow when I was age 12. It was a little Ben Pearson. You've seen the set. There's a little fiberglass bow with three arrows. 
And I just loved that thing and shot it and shot it. And finally, I was able to shoot it decently enough where I bought me a recurve. I cut yards all summer and got me a, a Brown and Nomad one recurve nice. and started the bow hunting there in Arkansas around our soybean fields. And my dad was, you know, he was a stickler about the regulations. You could only, we had one of the longest seasons, uh, archery seasons in the nation at that time. It would open October 1st and close February 28th. And you could only kill two deer. I would usually have my two deer killed by the time the gun season would open. So I never really got (laughs) gun hunt. Dad would let me go. (laughs) But I would have to say that my father got me started in the outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, I'm sure appreciative. My my dad was the same way. I mean, I grew up, I was born in August. At the end of September, you know, I was in deer camp and just, you know, my very first, and I never knew anything else. Like my whole life, that's all I ever really wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, you know, that's what we did that we didn't have computers, you know, we were outdoors all the time. We were hunting and fishing or, you know, doing something in the outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's great. So I'm thinking about Dylan's question. What was probably one of my most, um, I didn't say that I did not enjoy hunting this area, but it was the most uncomfortable was my polar bear hunt. It was minus 45 degrees the whole time. Oh my God. You know, and there he is right there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, Dylan, I took a thermometer with me because I wanted to just kind of keep up with exactly how cold it got. And after the third day, I thought my thermometer was broke because the mercury never came out of the bulb. It was a minus 30. (laughs) (laughs) It was so cold, the mercury wouldn't even come out of the thermometer. Later on, now that... The thermometer just didn't go far enough down. It was minus 45 the whole time I was out there. That's Man. pretty. You know, I, I talk about sometimes I, I was on a hunt in Montana that was like minus four or minus five degrees. And I needed electric gloves to even hunt in that weather. I can't imagine minus 45. Yeah, that's pretty cold. Yeah. Particularly for a Southern boy. Yeah. <laughs> now, what's is there one animal that like you harvested and you're like, okay, I'm glad I did it. but I don't want to hunt them anymore. Like, uh, probably mountain lion. You know, I said, I just, you know, I said, you know, uh, I need one mountain lion. I probably don't need to shoot another mountain lion. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. Buffalo. I shot my Buffalo in the pink mountains, uh, in British Columbia. I don't really need to shoot another Buffalo. It's just one of the species that I needed to collect, but it was a great hunt. I did it with, um, Tom Hoffman, uh, we were out, you know, it was true wilderness and we had a great, great time. Saw lots of Buffalo, but I don't need to shoot a novel. So I would say probably those two. Gotcha. Now for somebody who shot all of them, what's, what's your favorite? Uh, sheep is very good, particularly sheep ribs on the mountain. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And elk is excellent. If, uh, if you can get a bull that's not in the rut, uh, they eat really, really well. Um, but I would say my two favorite would probably would be sheep. Elk is really, really good. I, moose, I, you know, you would think that as big as the moose to meat is tough and not very tasty, but it di- it dines pretty well. Yeah, I, I love elk. That's kind of my staple all year long. What's or, the one wild game that you didn't like? Antelope. <laughs> <laughs> so when I. 
it it tastes a lot like the sagebrush that it was eating. But you, uh, I, but you know, it just could have been the antelope that I have shot in the past because I've heard some hunters say that antelope can be pretty tasty. I just hadn't found one yet. Yeah, I'll Jason, tell you. You eaten you, your antelope yet? Yeah, so far it's been great. Yeah, I, I mean, I've tried it, but uh, I haven't had the steaks. I've just had some of the some of the sausage yeah. I had made. So, I've, yeah, and you know, he said antelope but i doubt that he probably tried those harlequins <laughs> Cause I, yeah because i don't think those eat very those sea ducks aren't uh, known as table fare i'd, no, I'd say they they'd make antelope taste pretty good yeah i've, I've seen a couple of javelinas on the wall did you try the javelina you know uh javelina is not bad i've had javelina and uh you know what we would do is take them Skin I had them it out. one time and it was delicious. Yeah, dig a pit, wrap them up and bury them, and let them cook until the meat falls off the bone. They're pretty tasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had some. Well, just last year in Texas, we ended up shooting a bunch, and you know, it's one of those things where everything tastes better around a campfire in the woods with your buddies. Um, but you know, it was it was incredible table fare, and we had heard don't even touch them. Um, you know, they're not worth it, and. Uh, thought well if i'm gonna shoot it i'm gonna i'm gonna eat it and uh it was really good uh now yeah. of course again- kind of like the ribs on the mountain yeah oh god deep ribs yeah. on the mountain after you know a couple of weeks up there there's absolutely nothing better well and and for two reasons number one because it's just magnificent and then number two because you don't have to carry them out yeah that's true <laughs> yeah and after eating freeze-dried mountain house for two weeks, you know, <laughs> to get uh, sheep ribs over an open fire with a little bit of salt on them, it's uh, it's just nothing better. That's awesome. Watering already, Jason. All right. <laughs> well, it's it's uh, let's see, we're just a little past lunchtime here, but uh, you're probably not not too far from dinner. Nope. So we're we're just priming you up. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's uh, so Bob Delaney, like hunting with Bob, is uh, is, is there? Uh, well, I don't want to ask if there's anybody you don't like hunting with because we, we don't want him to come up on a second podcast. Yeah, I, you <laughs> know, I don't like hunting with him, I probably don't hunt with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, what I about can the, I can say the same thing for that one? He's never been hunting with me or you, Jason, or he'd have an I, answer. <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> Yeah, he'd be like, y'all been out here for a hundred days and that guy shot a little one. What was he thinking? <laughs> so I, I just want to just while we're talking, the Pope and Young convention this year was outstanding. You guys did a wonderful, wonderful job. It was one of the best conventions that I've gone to. And I think I've been to six or seven. And wow. I just want to let you know you did an outstanding job. And the trophy presentation uh, that Tom Miranda did was just absolutely first class. It's um, well, thank you very much for that. Uh, it was such a labor of love. It, it, people don't realize exactly how much went into planning that thing. Cause we, you know, we planned the Virginia convention and literally three weeks before we were supposed to be, you know, doors open in Virginia, that thing got canceled due to COVID. Right. And so, you know, we did 90, 97% of the work on that and didn't get to see it come to fruition. 
Wow. And then we started in and by that time we were a little bit behind on Reno. So we jumped in, spent a year on Reno and then right before Reno, you know, was supposed to happen in April and at the end of January, we moved that into July. So we got to plan that convention a whole nother time between January and July. So it actually, we planned three conventions to get that one to come together. So we're, we're so glad that, that we got to have everybody there and see all of our friends and, and, you know, extended family. It was, we really needed that. Yeah. And Jason, you know, what really surprised me, I did not expect a turnout to be as large as it was. I bet there <laughs> 500 people there you think yeah it's our total attendance was uh 783 wow that's incredible yeah and it's you know a job well done well thank you it's we we were excited and you know if you'd have told us uh three months ahead of time hey would you trade the possibility for 700 to just guarantee 500 we just sold it instantly we just said yes we get 500 people there we'll take it all day every day and then as we we're getting closer, you could feel because we we're the first, you know, major event to come back. Right. And, you know, things just opened up in Nevada. So our timing was good there. And you could feel the energy. People were excited to just get out and see people and talk to right. people. And and it, it was just a great time. And, and uh, just well, so I'm glad we were able to do it. Great things about that convention. So everyone's really excited about the next one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, we're going back to Reno, so we don't have to reinvent the wheel. The wheel's there. We know, you know, how things are going to be set up for the most part. And obviously there's some things we want to improve, but, um, but we're just excited. So we're, we've already started some planning, you know, Heather, our, our event planner, Heather Knight, she is tremendous. She's a tremendous asset for us. And, uh, she and I have a tendency to think big, you know, and, Right. And so we've got we've got a couple things that I think you'll be excited to see in 23. Yeah. And another thing too, the board of directors, you have an outstanding board of directors. You know, I was there with the presentations and the updates that the board of directors that when they presented to the general membership and to the regular membership, just fantastic. Those guys are, you know, they are just, you know, right on time. You know, that's just yeah. The club is, you know, this is the brightest future for the club that I've seen in a very long time. You got a strong board of directors. Jason Dillon, you guys are doing an outstanding job. Uh, you know, the sky's the limit for Pope and Young. It, it really is. And, you know, it's nice working with the board because, you know, they're, they're making decisions for the right reason. And it's, you know, having, having been in this industry for, you know, a long, long time, you know, you've seen good decisions made, seen bad decisions made. You've seen, you know, both of those made for the right and wrong reasons. And when, you know, sometimes tough or difficult decisions are made for the right reasons. And, and like you say, the sky's the limit and there's a lot of, lot of blue up there. So we're, we're really looking forward to the future. Yeah. And one other thing, I have to get a shout out again to Bob Delaney with trust funding and, uh, you know, uh, getting it up and going to Fred Bear society. That's, uh, that just come, Bob has brought portion of the club a long, long ways. He's, I, you know, Bob is a true warrior for Pope and young, and he has worked with the Fred Bear society and the trust fund. And, you know, you, you always hear, Oh, well, he took it to a new level. 
I think Bob took it about three levels up. I mean, he really, um, you know, he took something that, that just didn't have some traction all of a sudden gave it some traction, some direction and purpose. And, uh, it's, yeah, it, I, it's really been, been good working with Bob because he, he has that knowledge and, and that drive to, to be successful doing what he's doing. Oh yeah. He has a passion uh, for that club. I mean, you can just, you know, his footprint is all over that trust fund. He's, uh, he's just done an outstanding job. And, uh, you know, I'm, I would have to say that of all of the affiliations that I have being in that Fred bear society for me is a real honor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, that's the future of the organization. That's, that's where we're looking. You know, we just hit 60 years and if we're going to make it another 60, that trust fund and the things, the foundation that we're laying now with the three pillars, that's what. Absolutely. I agree. Tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, what's uh, on the timeline for, uh, for the club. Um, where do you see us in the, the next year or two? How is membership uh, looking as far as recruiting? You bet. Um, you know, and here's once again, when, when you talk about the board and some of the decisions that are being made, um, you know, it's interesting. When I interviewed for the, the executive director position, you know, even, even in my interview, I was aware of the Pope and young club, you know, I'd been an archer for a long time. I just hadn't been involved with the club. And so I, that there were a few things that I asked then, you know, even, Hey, uh, you know, explain the membership structure to me. Cause it, at that time we had, it was even, you know, more diverse than it is now. And so um, the board has made on on a couple separate occasions over the last three years, um, they've made some some decisions to simp- help simplify our membership right. to make it easier for people. And you know, a lot of folks, if, if you know somebody that's in the club, it's it's pretty easy to explain it to them. But if you don't have a, a personal, you know, mentor in, in the club, it, it's a little bit intimidating. It's sometimes so. You know, that's one of the things that that they're doing is they've They've made a commitment to help simplify. The other thing is, is they are in the middle. You know, we just did our rebranding. So we came up with three pillars. It is, you know, we're, we're here to preserve, to promote and protect bow hunting. And I think that's something that speaks to every bow hunter out there. Whether you're shooting trophy bucks or fork and horns, you want to make sure that you have an opportunity to go hunt. And so that's kind of where we're focusing now. Uh, we, you know, we just had a marketing call this afternoon where we're going to be putting some effort, getting the word out, letting people know, right. you know, we're the only national organization fighting for bow hunters, period. There's nobody else. You know, there's some great, great state organizations and we want to partner with them. You know, we don't want to, we're not competing with them. We want to augment them and, enhance and help and support you know if we need to take the lead we'll take the lead if we need to be in a supporting role we're okay with that as long as it's as it's promoting and protecting so those are some of the things that i see you know membership is holding pretty steady which you know we just had your your little over a year ago year and a half i guess it was we had a a price increase or a price change i should say 
And so anytime you get that, there's always, you know, it's like jumping, doing a cannonball into the pool. It takes, you know, you jump in and it takes a minute to let the waves kind of subside. And so right now we're, we're holding steady, um, but we're making a point. We want to go out and, and grow our membership and, and we don't want to ever, you know, we, we want to be the voice for bow hunters in America. And with that, you know, we are the voice for bow hunters. We are the voice. Yes. And yeah. so, um, you know, with that, we want the guy who maybe hasn't gone out and, and shot a brown bear. Right. You know, we, we want the lady in, you know, maybe, maybe she lives in a state where she's never going to shoot a Pope and young whitetail but we still want her as a member because they're a bow hunter. And so that's kind of what we're looking at now and is, is how to make it more attractive for people. We're still the Pope and young club. We're still going to have the records program because it's, that's the backbone, but, but it's more this only bow hunting experience, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, uh, the direction that the club is headed in now, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, my kids, my grandkids, your kids, they will have a strong. That's that's what we're hoping for. So we're we're digging in and, and we're doing our diligence, you know, our due diligence to to make sure that we're that for everybody. So um, but it's exciting. And and I think, you know, as I get a chance to, to visit with folks in the industry, I think people are excited to see you know, the energy and. Oh yeah, it was pretty. There was a lot of excitement and a lot of enthusiasm there. Yeah. Yeah. Dylan, what you've been up to these days. On your well, plate. Whitetail season's kicking off. So on a hunting standpoint, um, that's what I've been up to. Um, started off in Missouri and uh, Oklahoma opens Friday. Um, so I had to Oklahoma for the opener there this weekend. Uh, from a work standpoint, you know, just staying busy, trying to, again, like Jason and shared, trying to, to find the best way to, to get this out there to the crowd. Um, you know, we as an organization know what we stand for, uh, really to even a younger generation, right. uh, how can we, you know, and I've explained it like this to people. If you ask anybody, my dad's age or older, they know exactly what Pope and Young is They're like, Oh yeah, we have seasons of bow hunting because of Pope and Young. Well, if you ask anybody my age, they're like, well, yeah, I'm still hoping to get one in the books, you know, and, uh, and, and it's, it's, um, I say, we don't have to have one in the books to be a member. They're like, what? I didn't know that. I'm like, dude, if you're a bow hunter, we want you. And, that's right. uh, and so that's what, you know, as a marketing team, that's what we're really trying to nail down is, is how can we cast that vision? Um, and, and of course we're staying busy with, you know, post all the well-deserved awards that people uh worked hard to get um and and putting out those releases announcing those awards and everything so staying busy but but looking forward to whitetail season for sure yeah well it's right here i'm gonna head down to uh texas this weekend and uh, chase some whitetails there waiting for our season open our season open here in alabama in mid-october nice yeah. And it's uh, on the West coast. It's we're sitting here at the end of September and, and everything here is just about done. <laughs> you know, mule deer, blacktail elk, they're, they're all in the pronghorn. That's all in the, 
in the past, uh, you know, we've got that late blacktail season, but uh, for the most part, a lot of our bow hunting is already done here. Yeah, it's pretty much over with. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what what part, uh, Jason? You are from Oregon. I am. Yeah, grew up just south of Eugene, and now I live up in Salem, just nice. an hour hour south of Portland. So it's you know when uh, when you talk about all the different species, I I was kind of spoiled. I grew up, you know, hunting Roosevelt and and blacktail deer. You know, you go an hour east and you've got mule deer and, and you know, Rocky Mountain or the American elk and there's black bears and cougars. And, and so there was just from where I was a pretty good, you know, diverse area or, you know, a diverse array of wildlife you could chase just just within an hour of the house. Oh, man, that's well, I'll tell you what, you grew up in a great, great area. We pretty much just in Arkansas we pretty much had just whitetail actually in my part of the country. I don't, not sure if I ever saw a wild Turkey. There were a few, but you just did not see them very often. So you were pretty fortunate to have such a potpourri of, you know, when you were coming up and even today. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, great. Uh, it's definitely, you know, being, uh, in this position is definitely, uh, putting a little pressure on and uh and guiding me to do a little bit more on the big game side i've i've hunted them my whole life but it was never kind of my only thing and so i, I put some focus focus to it this season yeah well that's great that is fantastic yeah. so what kind of setup are you shooting um i actually i got two days before i left for wyoming for my first antelope hunt i got uh, my hoyt Yeah. And so it was because I, I hunted, you know, a couple of days in Wyoming, got an antelope and then I hunted uh, a little bit in, in Idaho on a DIY kind of a public land deal, got an antelope. And I'm like, Hey, if I can go connect up with an elk, I could literally have an RX five with, you know, like three animals in five days. And it just didn't quite work out that way. My, my, uh, the elk didn't cooperate. I, I had the playbook, but they didn't read it. <laughs> yeah, so. that's, oh, you know, Hoyt really builds a great bow and arrow. And the, I have the RX-1. I still shoot it. And uh, the RX-5, you know, it's a Maserati. You know, it's a, it's, it's a great shooting machine. It is. And it's, I had the three before in, and this is just, just feels a little bit better. I, I went up a little bit in poundage, but the, the back wall is nice and tight on this thing. And, and it's, uh, you know, I'm not the world's greatest archer, so I need good equipment to make. And I feel like I've got it there. Well, you definitely have the bow. Yeah. 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 So, and I, I get to, fortunately I've got some little bit of property here so I can, I can shoot just in the backyard, makes it nice. I can go out to, to 70, 80 yards, no problem. Oh, that's – I see you got a kudu, a gims buck, and um, maybe an eland there in the back of your wall. Looks like you spent a little time in Africa, huh? I did, yeah. I went over there, and and uh, I, I loved it. It was just fantastic. Went to Botswana with a buddy of mine, and, and I figured, you know what? This is the only time I'll ever get here. So I, I went a little bit crazy and probably got a little more than I should have, but uh, – then as soon as you get back, you're like, you know, I'm going again. So yeah. I, I, 
I just about the time I decided, you know, I'm going to go back. All of a sudden, COVID hit, and, yeah. and we all know how that's affected things. Yeah, COVID has had a profound effect on the economy in a lot of different ways. You know, it's uh, I'll be glad when this pandemic, uh, we get this pandemic under control. Yeah, it's, you know, even this morning, you mentioned that because because I woke up this morning. Um, one of my favorite trips every year, it's one of the highlights, you know, not even just of hunting trips, but my whole year is, is I go to Alberta usually for two weeks in October. And you know, I'm hunting up there, but I also have friends that I've gotten to know over the last 20 years of going to this area. And, you know, I wasn't able to go last fall, wasn't able to go last spring. And, and I look today and I'm like, man, I, it just doesn't look like it's going to come together for, for this year either. And it's, it's, it's tough. I, you know, I'm ready for this COVID thing to be over so we can get back to, to living life and seeing your friends and, and, uh, you know, just all the things that, that people should be doing instead of sitting around. You know, been practicing medicine. I've seen a few epidemics, a couple of pandemics. But I have not seen any. You know, I know there's a lot of misinformation out there, but as a physician, I have to say this. And, uh, You know, we have to do all the mitigation where the mask. But we will look back in another 20 to 30 years. Great miracles in modern medicine. You know, we have about 700,000 people who have died from COVID. And I'm talking about real deaths in the U.S. I've lost more patients in the last year than in the last 10 years of my practice. Wow. From COVID. So... You know, I know that there is a lot of country. It's ultimately, that's what's going to make a difference. We cannot hide from COVID. It's everywhere. Uh, you know, to, you know, I encourage everyone out there to, that's all I have to say about it, but yeah. as a provider, you know, to make that statement. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, you mentioned it earlier. It, is there so much misinformation is, you know, you go to one place and, and it tells you, you know, all the good things that the vaccine does and you go to another place and, you know, there's, you know, a picture of somebody there who's had complications from the, the vaccine. And so it's so hard to find a place, you know, that you trust with good information. I know. And Jason, this is the problem. You can always find one example of anything, right? I mean, in automobile accidents, we still drive cars. People, oh, yeah. We have airplanes that fall out of the sky. We still fly, yeah. you know. Uh, hey, but, easy now. I was just booking some flights. So it's, <laughs> The vaccine, yeah, you know, it's not perfect. But if I had a choice to take that vaccine or get COVID, I'd be in that vaccine line every time. I've seen young people with no comorbidities. I lost a really good friend that was in the mid-30s. The guy was, but uh, he was gone in five days from COVID, you know. Yeah. 
I've seen lots and lots of people that if they would have had the vaccine, they would still be here now. You know, yeah. I had to say it. I know this is about bow hunting, but you know, it may one person listen to this podcast may hear this from a feather boat, uh, uh, and they may go out and take the vaccine. So it's worth making that Absolutely. statement. So, you know, talking about the vaccine and travel, what, what do you have coming up on your, on your travel schedule? Where are you heading next to, to go on well, the I'm next adventure? Well, I'm South Texas this weekend. I'll be down there for several days. I'll hunt whitetail there. I go down there every year. I've been going down there for the last 20 years. Uh, and then I'll hunt here in Alabama. I go to, and in January, I'm going to go to, you know, really the big ones. I, uh, this year I spent a lot of time elk hunting between hunting myself and yeah. other guys. I probably spent, you know, three weeks in the field. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You know, I've heard a lot of guys talk about that, that coos deer hunt. Oh, it is. It's a great, and it's in January too. You know, it's just a great time. Most of it's the coos deer hunting is in either Arizona or Mexico. So the weather is, is very reasonable, you know, yeah. uh, particularly for the people that are up in the Midwest and need to get out of that cold weather. But yeah, who's your challenging little deer? You know? Yeah. 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 I've heard a lot of good things. So, well, uh, you know, one of the things we do here, Dr. Strickland is we ask every guest that we have when you're out in the field, what is one piece of equipment, maybe a, maybe a non-traditional item that you have with you? That you uh, let me think about that one piece of equipment in my backpack that's non-traditional that I could not live without. Uh, well, you know, I would say that a Swiss Army knife is non-traditional, but uh, I always have a Swiss Army knife with me because there's everything on that. <laughs> you know, now, is that the great, is that the great big one with the toothpick and the tweezers? Oh, yeah, that's it. That's right. Okay. All right. Yeah. I always keep one of those in my back, but never leave without, uh, you know, for my GPS, of course, it's non-traditional, but I always have a couple of extra sets of batteries. I've been out and, you know, have lost power and I have batteries. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, it's, I, I was just on a hunt recently and I was like, oh, I, I stocked up. I mean, I bought the, I don't know what it was, the 30 pack of, of AA batteries and I get there and I'm getting ready to ride my, my bike back to camp three miles in the dark. And I realize my headlamps, I've got two headlamps because you always have a spare and both of them take AAA batteries. So um, not only have batteries, but make sure you've got the right ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've several times get caught out and, you know, need that extra set of batteries. So I always have a, a pack of you know, an extra set of batteries for, you know, again, you know, for your headlamp, for your GPS, uh, because they always go out at the most unopportune time. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you, yeah. did you get to add to your recurve collection any at our silent auction? I did. I sure did. I picked up a couple. Yeah. That's, I love that silent auction because you can usually find some real collectibles there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, we've already got some things slated for 
for 23 that I think you'll be happy to see there. So when they, when they cleaned out the mute, well, when they, when they boxed the museum up for the move down to Bass Pro, which we we're really excited about. Um, and, and thank you, by the way, I know you were part of the team that, that, you know, initiated that and, and got that ball rolling. So thank well, you, you so know, much. That was, that was really an easy decision for Bass Pro to make because the Pope and Young Club represented uh, what Bass Pro is all about, conservation and preservation of the outdoor experience. So, you know, it's really the club itself, some, you know, that uh, made that transition very, very easy. Yeah, you know, and we're so excited because, you know, Johnny Morris and his team are great to work with. And and that facility down there is, I mean, it's it's world class. It's it's I don't know what beyond world class is. I mean, it's the best. That's where you want to be. I don't think there's anything else a wildlife museum like that in the world. It's no. incredible. And yeah. for our club, for our museum to be in that wonders of the wildlife uh presentation or museum is just you know that's that's going to be huge for the club i think it's it, going to help us recruit a lot a lot of members i think so and i think we're going to have days at that museum that see more people than what we would see in chatfield in a year oh yeah oh yes and you know i encourage everyone that's listening to this podcast that needs to be a destination site that museum yeah. to do around springfield but it uh Stand at Wonders of the Wildlife Museum is something that's got to be on your must-do list. Absolutely. Now, you, you don't necessarily have to do it before our, our portion opens, but you have to do it. That's exactly right. I yeah. agree. So, well, anyway, I um, sure appreciate all your, uh, all your support. And, you know, congratulations. It's, it's been great getting to visit with you and see the trophy room and hearing the stories. So. Thanks, Jason, Dylan. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, looking forward to the next convention. And if you need anything from me, you just let me know. Sounds good, sir. We'll see you in Reno. All righty, buddy. Bye-bye.